25 episodes and still going strong. Welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing professional wrestler Paradise. But before we continue, I'd like to give everybody a fair warning that this interview had some technical difficulties and the audio is not the best quality. So please bear with it as we continue with this podcast. And I would like to remind everybody, please check out popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture. So without further ado, let's dive right into this interview with professional wrestler Paradise. So when were you first introduced into wrestling? I grew up watching it from Virginia, so watching NWA and stuff like that. And I got into it actually in college in Richmond. And what were you watching? Were you watching WWE? Were you watching WCW, ECW? I grew up watching mostly NWA, really. Like, I grew up watching Ric Flair and Sting and the Horseman, Ricky Steamboat, all that kind of stuff back then. And, of course, we get the WWF pay-per-views, go over to a friend's house, watch SummerSlam. From where I was, that's what was on most of the time. And then when did you decide that you wanted to become a professional wrestler? I didn't decide I was going to get into wrestling until I was in college. And in college, they started this kind of underground lucha movement in the school. And it was just like this alternative, different thing, punk rock kind of started in someone's, you know, backyard at a party. And there were a bunch of great guys involved in that. Met some of my best friends, you know, through that. And started doing that while I was in art school. And as I moved along into like art school and like a lot of the other stuff started to become secondary to this wrestling thing we were doing. And I was doing art and graphic design and video editing for that. And that started to become like my focus almost. So when college ended, I was like, oh, well, I guess wrestling ended too. And I was like, well, that's the best part of anything that I've been doing. I don't want to quit this. So me and Tuzio packed up, moved to Louisville and OVW. Before you went to OVW, were you wrestling anywhere else? In our league, in Richmond Lucha Libre. And then we actually started wrestling in some of the independents around Virginia and stuff because there's a commission in Virginia. I don't know if you guys know that. There's a boxing and wrestling commission and regulated by the government. We started drawing too much and they caught wind of it and wanted to cut of our sales. So we were told that we had like trained to be wrestlers. So we started training with some of the folks down there and then ended up, you know, working with the independent organizations around there. And But I don't know if I count my professional career really until I came to OVW. And who are you trained by? I was trained by Rip Rogers, Danny Davis, Al No, Jim Cornette, and on all different facets. OVW is great because it helped hone everything. As an artist and everything else, I was also into production. So while I was working as a talent, also helping produce the show, helping direct the show, graphic design stuff, creating packages, things like that. So like for Mal Snow, I got, we'd be in the control room. I helped direct and produce and he taught me so much. With two years in the control room with Jim Cornette, it blew my mind, but it also blew my mind how much you absorb just sitting there going through these shows with these guys and helping put these things together how much knowledge you can absorb and Danny Davis so knowledgeable and Rip Rogers literally say pound for pound the best trainer in the world in professional wrestling. The close second right now is Nick Dinsmore, who actually just opened up a school, a Midwest wrestling school. And just guys that know the business inside and out, lived it, breathed it, ate it every day for, you know, the better part of three decades. Some of the best training in the world. Not to mention all the other guys that would rotate in and out. They're like Shelton Benjamin, Gail Kim, Brock Lesnar, CM Punk, Cole Cabana. So it was a pretty cool time. So you came to OVW and Derby City Wrestling in 2007. How did you find these promotions and how did you become part of their rosters well derby city was it was the developmental for, for ovw which was the developmental for wwe so when we went there wwe was still there al snow was running the program and most of the people there were signed that were on ovw so they created a splinter brand dcw basically derby city 
to have a secondary television product. They tape OVW on Wednesdays. They tape Derby City on Thursdays. So you get a chance to go to the OVW house shows. Not a lot of people did, though. Not a lot of people that weren't fine did. I think guys were scared or intimidated or whatever, but we went there. We immediately started going to the house shows trying to get out. And Al Snow is so creative. He wanted to use everybody. If you fit something that could be on the show, he would use you, whether it was for security or, you know, crowd filling or a persona or personality on the show, you would get used in some capacity. And our goal was just always, you know, of course, get signed, but really to be there and have a position on the main show on OVW as unsigned trainees there and help get ourselves noticed and get that experience. How did you form a team with Chris Silvio? When you first came to DCW and OVW? When I moved to Richmond to go to school, to go to college, he was one of the guys that was in Richmond Lucha Libre. We became pretty much instant friends. Throughout my college years and well after, I think there's only been like three or four people I've lived with constantly. Susio was like always my roommate, it seemed like. I, I feel like for 20 years, Susio has been my roommate. I kind of like go into the next room sometimes to see if he'll make me a grilled cheese still, but he's not in Nashville, so where I am. I just forget. You're around those people so often for so long. So it was automatically, a, it was a no-brainer. We had to stick together anyways. We were kind of the same size. Neither one of us were the size of a Jay Bradley or a Colt Cabana or a Ricky Ortiz, any of those guys. So we needed to find our own niche. And one of your first tag team rivalries was with Sonic Fang. How did this rivalry form? I think the way that formed was we were all tiny, so they figured they could just put us in a small pen together. They could kind of minimize space and keep us off to the side. It was the obvious answer. Fang is a guy, too, who was really smart and just such a good work ethic. Fang was always funny because Fang's little, but Fang's not just short. Like, Fang's like a little man. Like, he's like a mini person. Not like a small person, but literally, like, he's in scale, like, to a person's size. It's so funny. He's like little action figure. But uh, he was just always so creative with his in-ring and stuff like that. And we just all kind of clicked and, you know, tried to have fun out there. Now to jump to 2008, where you involved in a tag team tournament to determine the number one contenders for OVW Tag Team Championships. How did these series of matches come about? WWE, I think it just left or something, and I think it was that Thanksgiving, and they were going to have a Thanksgiving show, which I never knew, but like Thanksgiving and Christmas used to be huge. Like that used to be like movie sales, like ticket sales at the movies. I go through the roof at Christmas time and Thanksgiving time because families are home. Like they used to go watch wrestling, so wrestling those shows used to be like some of the best selling shows of the year the big promotions would run like three shows with like three rosters they do a day and a night show and then have them like in two different places at the same time operating because the desire to see pro wrestling during the holidays was there so they, they were having a thanksgiving thunder show and decided they're going to do a tournament with the cage and, and we just like started to gain a little steam and kind of started to draw some people on our own and i think they were just looking for a team that was fun and that would go the extra mile that the people could get behind a couple of baby faces with a hell of a drop kick and that's and that's what we delivered and you just mentioned a steel cage. How do you prepare for a steel cage match, let alone jumping off of a steel cage match? Uh, we've already had steel cage matches before we got there, so we were well-versed. But OVW has the biggest cage I've ever seen. It's like 20, 18 feet higher. It's gigantic. It's like two of the giant fences that you shouldn't climb over to get into your neighbor's yard, like stacked on top of each other. There was no way to prepare for falling off that thing. Like, that was just something that in the moment you just decide, just do it or not. I made my peace with God. 
God and the Easter Bunny and jumped off that motherfucker. I'm still alive to speak about it today. And to do it a second or third time, I think. I think I did it a couple other times, too. Now, you eventually won this tournament. Why do you feel that you were afforded the opportunity to become the number one contenders for the tag team titles? I think they were just looking for something new. I think we had a fun look. You know, our merchandise was selling well. It was something a little different, a little new. It wasn't bad guys dressed as terrorists. I think they had, uh, they wanted something new. And, you know, and probably also because they knew I was a moron and would jump off the cage. Now, after you became the number one contenders that same night, you challenged Dirty Money and Scott Cardinal for the tag team belts, which you won. We've had a lot of matches against Scott Cardinal and Dirty Money. Like, some were really good, some were not. Like, sometimes it didn't click, but those guys are huge. I love Dirty Money. I love Scott, too. Scott's awesome. They're just two giant guys, and it was just complete polar opposites. And to be honest, it felt good, because those were guys that, you know, that were working on the main roster when it was the developmental right before. Like, those were guys who were featured on the show. They've been wrestling for longer than us. It was that match I thought was really good. One of my main things I love the best about Dirty Money, he, he likes clotheslining me in the nose. He clotheslines everybody else in the chest. He like clotheslining me in the nose. He just give me the forearm right to the nose. I'd be like, all right, this week, tonight, don't break my nose. He'd be like, okay, okay. I always got some sympathy because I was always bleeding. And in winning the tag team titles, how did that affect you psychologically as well as physically? Whether people say wrestling is phony or whatever it is, at some point it's nice, cool, because literally you are carrying the flag for that division or the flag for the company in some way. When you win a belt, finally, you get good enough to be recognized for being not only good at what you do, but you're being recognized as somebody they trust to carry on the business and carry the flag for the company in some way. That feels really good. You know, this is somebody's business, personally. Other than yours, you're your own brand. You know, you're running your own market, basically, with your other bookings. But this is somebody else's livelihood, too. Like, this is Danny Davis's baby. This is what he does. This is his company. And he's giving you the opportunity. He gave us the opportunity to carry the flag for him. It makes you feel really good. The only downside is, once you get that, you're always hungry for more. It's like being a drug addict. Now, going into 2009, you had some intense rivalries with Dirty Money and Scott Cardinal exchanging title victories over each other. How do you feel that rivalry played out as well as the matches with them? A lot of it was cool because sometimes we wouldn't agree on stuff. Sometimes the stuff that was happening in the ring was way more aggressive than usual. So I thought it made for really good matches and we were drawing houses with it and whether it was them or the mobile homers or working 60 minute matches, we were starting to draw really nice sized houses for those few that was with us featured as the main event. It was a good time and also in 2009, you and Susio split and you became a singles wrestler. How did you feel about transitioning into singles wrestling? I was ready definitely just to try something new because we had been singles wrestlers before we were a tag team also. We've been like a tag team and not a tag team on and off for as long as we've been wrestling. So I had been a singles wrestler before. He'd been a singles wrestler before, but definitely wanted to try something new in general. I definitely wanted to try out a new attitude. It's kind of like I just wanted to put a, a fresh spin in the rotation. I was definitely ready to do that. And the best part was is now I didn't only have to team up with Susie, and now I got to fight him too. So we got to use some of our chemistry that we had as a team and a lot of that came out in our matches too and it was great because i could knock the shit out of him and he wouldn't really get that mad at me he'd only complain you know a little bit so speaking about that what is challenging about wrestling somebody you're very familiar with 
I think the only thing I can think of as possibly challenging is sometimes you guys know each other too well. You're so on the same page, you assume that somebody is doing one thing when they're really about to do another. That's when you get blindsided. And also in 2009, you won your first television title. How did those circumstances occur? I think there was a tournament or something, again, for the TV title. But when I first came in, I just kind of wanted to try a persona that I had done, an updated version of it from Richmond, where I kind of wanted to evolve it into like a Ziggy Stardust-ish kind of heel. And I think it was just colorful. It was different than anything else was on the show. And with the roster at that time, I think a lot of guys were stepping up to the plate. And a core group of us, like the mobile homers, the terrorists, like Ali, Ali, Muhammad Ali Baez, who is in Australia now. And so many guys around there that were stepping up to the plate and ready to take those spots. At that point, we were all in. So I was all in. That's all I was doing was trying to better myself, trying to better my body, trying to better my marketability. And I think it was just different than anything else that was on the show. And it was just the right fit. It was just colorful and fresh enough for Louisville for that to happen. I was very blessed to get that. I thought that was awesome at times. Now, with you winning the title between 2009 and 2010, you feuded with Asher Knight, Fing, and Jamin Alavisia. So how did these matches come about? Somewhere between there, I switched from Kamikaze Kid to Paradise, and I just switched it completely. But matches with Jamin, they thought it'd be a good match because it was a dainty, weird, kind of eccentric, kind of dainty poof versus this intense fireball, Jamie Olivencia. It was just a nice contrast. Opposites, opposites, opposites. Now, in 2011, you won your fourth tag team title. How did this occur? I've been doing Paradise. I always visited it as this kind of like dainty, kind of like Ziggy Stardust type character. And as time went on, as the audience get to know you, it's funny because they start to get comfortable. They gravitate to what they're entertained by. So at the beginning, they would want to see someone they like beat me up. Then they were entertained by that. So they started to kind of wanted to see me get beat up. Then they just kind of wanted to see me and they didn't care if I was getting beat up or not. Until eventually my antic got so big and flamboyant and out of control that finally they were just kind of waiting for me to turn a corner. And Ryan Nemeth, who is awesome, by the way, he's hilarious. The hot young stud. So when he got the feud with Silvio about the tag team titles and, you know, Fang came back, he replaced him as his partner. So Ryan stepped in because Fang was hurt and then Fang got jealous and then Susio sided with Fang and, you know, they wanted to titles. So Ryan Nemeth needed a partner. And for a hot, young, oily, tan stud, who's the most obvious choice for that, that likes and or loves hot, young, oiled up, tan studs, Paradise. So when I turned that corner, when I came out that night, it was one of the Saturday night specials. One of the first ones that Jim Cornette had run. When I came out that night, I was never able to turn bad again in Louisville. I could never be a heel again. And my character just evolved into the next evolution and it was like this mix of like Michelle Tanner and Hello Kitty and Eugene. So it kind of took its own wings and flew off into the stratosphere somewhere. So how did you feel about this team ending so soon? Man, to tell you the truth, I was so happy because the reason the team was ending was because Ryan got signed and that was great. He always had a great look. He always a uh, bona fide star. His timing vocally on the mic and acting and just everything. So I was super happy for him. I was sad that I didn't get to work with him a lot longer, but you know, that's why we're there. We're there to get jobs and move on. That's the goal. And if at the time they were signing him, you know, somebody was accidentally watching me and that means I contributed at all to him getting signed in any way. 
That's good in my book. So I mark that as a happy day. Plus, I got to make a really cute video about our breakup, kind of a reminiscing. It's on the internet somewhere. Now, after your breakup, you got another <laughs> shot at the TV title. How did you feel about getting another shot later on in your career versus earlier in your career? I've been around the horn a bunch of times. I've been in every position probably twice by then, other than the OVW Heavyweight Championship. I was just confident and ready to rock that thing out and make it the most profitable and successful run of my career up to that point. I was more than ready. I was overprepared. I don't have a lot of bad times to say about OVW. The whole time was just so much learning and just so much fun and so much bonding. It's just one of those times in your life that you wouldn't replace for anything. You meet so many lifelong friends. It's guys that you'll see 15 years later and it's like you never lost a beat. It's just like you saw each other yesterday. Because Louisville was different too. Like OVW is different because everybody lived there. Everybody kind of lived in the same places. Everything is within 12 minutes of each other. So you live together. A lot of, we had to stack five in a house at a time. A lot of times the guys worked at the same jobs because you had the same circles and you had to keep the same kind of hours because you're wrestling, you know, five times a week. Susan you know, said before we worked, you know, four times a week. There would be weeks where we had shows on Tuesday at like the bingo hall and then it'd be like Wednesday TV, Thursday TV, Friday night in Clarksville, and then it'd be like Saturday night and Sunday at Echo 5. You know, six, seven days a week sometimes we'd be working and you had to find a way to live while supplementing your income along with your merch and any of these bookings, you know, whatever deal you had worked out with Danny, but you had to find a way to live that entire time. So you're around these people like 24 hours a day. That's why those bonds are so strong. Eight years of being around these same people. Of course, it was a rotating door too. There's always new people, but there were guys when I got there, we were there at the same time when I left. There were guys there for eight, eight years or so, and you're around 24 hours a day. Now, you also were part of another team called the Mascara Mafia. How did that form? That was a really cool storyline, actually, and that was a cool situation. And I got to give all the credit in the world to Brandon Espinosa and Al Snow, and it was a really cool thing. It was like basically Paradise was getting bullied by Brandon Espinosa because apparently Brandon Espinosa thought he was a homosexual. Now, Paradise never really said either way about his sexuality because the truth it really doesn't matter but basically he was bullying him for this but he was kind of in the closet doubting himself hating himself the entire time so we feuded for like a year and a half and finally it came down to I quit versus I admit match where it was either I had to tap out and say I quit into the microphone or Brandon Espinosa had to admit finally that he was gay <laughs> And his character had to admit it, and it was, it was so funny. He had this sidekick, and it was his childhood friend. It always was referred to as, his name was just Chris. So it'd be like, so is it Crystal or Christopher? Just Chris. So I beat him in that match, picked him up, gave him the big hug, and it was great because we had a bunch of LGBT people come out, you know, really support. They came out with the rainbow flags and everything to support this character in this feud because it was, well, number one, it was topical at the time. But number two, it was cool because while doing some stuff that was stereotypical, typical just to be fun the message you know people are getting loud and clear i didn't find out about this till later but like the message of just being yourself and not caring about what other people think and be you went through to people like i got letters from kids and one of them was like 18 year old kids like i came out of the closet because of paradise because the story we were telling and i was like man we're just doing this regional wrestling show having a ton of fun and just trying to show this good message it was affecting people for real not just in the way that they're interacting but one for real that was just a cool thing have happened. It kind of snowballed. Paradise was just a baby-faced character 
any actability and whatever, but it was not a homosexual look on a bad light as a heel who's weird because he tries to do all kinds of creepy stuff. It was this character that's part of his personality. It was just different. It was that character to put in a good light. And Louisville in the South, I don't know if that's always something that, you know, like times are changing quickly, but especially then and any time, that wasn't something that they always would cheer for automatically. So it was nice that that character had a positive effect on people and kind of just was fun. Now, as Mascara Mafia, you faced Gut Check, Best Team Ever, and the Mobile Homers. How do you feel that these matches went with these teams? Once our feud ended, then we became friends, and I proposed to him that we have a tag team partnership ceremony, and then we went right to it and started fighting Jesse Goddard. He's on TNA. You get to see him all the time when we're at TV, and Rudy Switchblade, he was one of the best talents on the scene. He trained in California. It's like Samoa Joe and DJ Perkins, all these guys. So those matches were great, and the Mobile Homers, I love that because we got to relive Carrie for a giant bowl of mustard over a girl's head and kind of do the Dumb and Dumber makeover thing. I think with the Mobile Homers, the most fun that we had with that wasn't even the matches or at the house shows or anything. One of the times with the vignettes, the storytelling that didn't happen, the parts that didn't happen in the ring were some of the most fun that happened. But yeah, we had a great ladder match with the best team ever. Those guys, you, you got to watch out for Mr. Spectacular Jesse Goddard. Yeah, he's going to be making waves. He's so talented and very smart, too. So you just spoke about Jesse Goddard, who's in TNA. Yeah. And you are a producer on TNA. Right. How did you transition from OVW to being a producer on TNA? I had been at OVW and I'd been working as a producer with, like I mentioned, with, with Al and Jim Cornette and Danny and Rip since pretty much I got there. So I had been doing that stuff the entire time. And so while I was wrestling, I'd also be doing graphic design and video editing and things like that. And I'd been giving them my resume and things like that. And finally, one day I just got a call from Christy Hemme. They were looking for something new and somebody to come in and do it. And I got the gig. At that time, I was doing these wrestling play that I'd been doing for like a couple of years while I was wrestling too. So I'd leave and go on tour and come back and then leave and go on tour and come back. But I was always like, do one of these. Get signed to be a performer, get signed to be a producer. Both of them serve me creatively, feed my appetite for creativity, which is something that I definitely need. So I moved to Nashville and here I am producing at TNA and the company's great. Everybody that works there is awesome. The uh, men's division is great. EC3, Eric Young, they said Goddard, Drew Galloway, the girls' division is great. You got the dollhouse from they're my favorite. I actually designed that logo. You got Marty and you got Jade. You got that newcomer Rebel, too. She's a firecracker. She has not been in the wrestling business that long. For her to be as polished of a performer as she is at this time right now, I don't think you can beat it. Plus, you got Gail Kim and Kong and Madison Rain. I think it has some exciting things coming up in 2016. And also, it was great when I got there because I got to give the entire brand a facelift, you know, design the logo and things like that. And I'm just blessed they trusted me enough to give me that opportunity. I just think that shows how far the company is willing to go to try new things. That's why I'm excited about next year and beyond. And let's talk a little bit about your character. How'd you come up with your look? Because it's very unique. Kind of evolved from this Ziggy Stardust, weird, like, colorful punk type looking thing into, like, eight-year-old girl. Like, if they could dress themselves, like, that's how Paradise dresses. And from 1987, the audience develops things for you. I was trying different stuff all the time. And what Paradise is, is a basically conglomeration of the things that the people reacted to, that they empathized with. It's weird. It's not, like, necessarily like, ooh, I like that bracelet. But the things they were reacting to to the things they like, the situations and the things I would wear, things like that. They kind of chose that. You know, half that I wore, half the makeup that I got, more than half probably actually, was stuff that fans had actually gotten me. So they gave stuff that they wanted to see me wear in my match and things like that. So they dressed me. 
And then finally, before we get into promos, do you have any advice for people who want to get into the wrestling business, either as a wrestler or a promoter or a producer? It's cool to be a jack of all trades. I not only understand how to work in the ring, but I understand how to work behind the camera. And that has helped me extensively. I'm not the, I'm not a big guy. You know, I weigh, the biggest I've ever been was 200 pounds. So I am not a huge dude. I don't have that on my side. I think it was like always trying to learn how to cut your promos, do your personality, try to give yourself a great personality, try to work on your body. And then meanwhile, try to understand the rest of the things about the business that the other people are doing. There is nobody in the wrestling business that's working for the show that is more important than the other. The performers, talent, of course, they're number one because without them, there's no show, but it's also the same with everybody else from the director all the way down to the guy who's selling popcorn. Without them, the machine doesn't work. So my advice is do other things while you're wrestling and learning your craft and honing your craft, but also within the business, learn to understand the different facets of it that are going on, just not necessarily in front of the camera. You're going to have the opportunity at some point, oh, we need a rest tonight. Well, you know, say you're not booked, you weren't going to be on the show anyway. So now you get to be a rep. Now you have a chance to pop possibly get a job doing that there's always opportunity everywhere but you got to be looking for it you got to have your eyes open and then finally do you have anything you would like to promote yeah i just wanted to say impact wrestling right now they're running the world title series it's on on wednesday nights at 9 8 central on destination america and impact wrestling is going to have some big things going on next year and i'm excited i can't wait for everybody to find out about it but make sure to check out that product for your local indies as well and also i'm on twitter at, at paradise XOXO instead of Paradise. Now it's Production Paradise. I'm behind the camera now. If anybody wants to drop me a line, go ahead and do that. And just uh, keep your eyes open for some great stuff coming in. Support the uh, OVW. It's OVWrestling.com. They have their show. It streams every week. They produce a brand new television show. It's one of the longest running shows on TV in general and or on the internet. So make sure to check them out and support those guys. You got a lot of guys working hard down there and you know they've been at it for a long time. And there are some who are just starting but uh, in a lot of ways, those are going to be the people, some of, some of those guys are going to be people that you see future basic cable package Monday or Wednesday nights. Thank you for bearing with me as this podcast is not of the best audio quality. And remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you can find your podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter at Pop Anime Comics and like our Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics. For all updates regarding this podcast, as well as the website, popanimecomics.com. Till next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.